Welcome to the Food Freedom Fertility Podcast. Here, we discuss the challenging, rewarding, and life-changing process of recovering your period and finding freedom with food and exercise. Whether you're hoping to regain your cycle to get your health back on track, or you're ready to become a mama, this podcast is for you. While the recovery process isn't always rainbows and butterflies, it's my hope to bring you both information and inspiration during your own recovery journey. I'm your host, registered dietitian and fellow HA woman, Lindsay Lesson. All right. Thank y'all so much for tuning into another episode of the Food Freedom Fertility Podcast, HA Recovery and Beyond. Y'all, I'm so excited to bring on a former client and physician um, of mine, Kelly. Kelly is a former Division I collegiate volleyball player. She finished medical school in June of 2022 and matched for her dream residency program in emergency medicine. As a previous athlete, Kelly came from a lifestyle where exercise was part of her daily routine. As prep for her wedding, Kelly continued to exercise at a high level while also engaging in dieting. This led to weight loss and ultimately the loss of her period. After going off birth control last November, she realized that she needed some more support. She joined the Food Freedom Fertility Society this past summer and got her period back in just five weeks. Kelly is now having regular ovulatory cycles and excited to share what she's learned through her own recovery journey. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you know, it's hard because whenever we talk about HA and period loss with HA, I think it's very easy for us to be quick to point to doctors as part of the problem with not diagnosing it correctly. So I love having, I loved having you as a client and I am excited to have you share um, kind of your perspective as a doctor, what you guys are taught in your training and, um, you know, help us kind of realize that like doctors aren't the bad guys here. We, we only know, we only know what we know. Um, so let's dive in. Can you just share a little bit about your experience in medical school? What were you taught about HA? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I started, the first time I was exposed just to the diagnosis in general was, you know, my first year of med school, you're kind of just learning systems-based, all those things. And when I first learned about hypothalamic amenorrhea, I guess there's a stereotype that initially I had associated it with, you know, individuals that are low body weight, individuals that are working out all the time, individuals that, you know, go through some point of a calorie restriction for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And so if it were to be a test question is what kind of how, what I used to think about, you know, that was, that would be in the question stem. Those would be the characteristics of the patient that I would be seeing. And that would kind of lead me towards the diagnosis. So initially when I kind of went through period loss, I thought individually, you know, I don't fit that category. I was like, I, you know, wouldn't pick that for myself if this were a board question type thing, if I'm thinking like a physician. Um, So I kind of had like taken that completely out of the differential for me at first, especially because I was on the pill at the same time. And so I think that also can kind of mask it just because I was having a withdrawal bleed each month. And so I just initially thought that there's no way that I could have HA if I was having a period every month. So I think, you know, especially in the beginning, like when I realized I was, I was, you know, dieting and realized I was going on, on, long terms of time of calorie restriction, I 
kind of thought I might have it, but then once I, you know, regained a lot of weight, I kind of let up on exercise a little bit. I was still exercising enough and I was in normal body weight. So I figured, okay, there's no way that I can fit into this, this category of what, you know, this diagnosis is. So you bring up two really big points that I think maybe I don't talk about enough is the fact that if you're on the pill, you don't know if you have HA, right? Like you could be exercising for hours per day and drastically underfilling your body, but every 28 days, you're going to get a withdrawal bleed. So that's a really good point that I think everybody needs to keep in mind. And then what I'm hearing is the second thing that led you to say, no, that's not me even having what sounds like something that you could check a lot of boxes for, but the biggest thing, the biggest hold up that it seems like you had was the fact that you were a quote normal BMI. Is that correct? Correct. And that was my biggest thing is, you know, going off your first point. Yes, I had a withdrawal bleed each cycle, but for me, actually the first sign that I knew something was kind of wrong was I had mid cycle spotting and I previously had never had anything like that. And, you know, halfway into what my normal cycle was, I noticed a little bit of withdrawal bleed. And I was like, that's not right. And this was like peak time, probably like a month or two before my wedding where I had been going at it for a while. And so I was like, you know what, like, that's probably a sign that things aren't right. But I was like, okay, I only have one month left, like that type of thing. But even then my withdrawal bleed was very, very light compared to like what it had previously been. So that could be another sign for individuals that like, if it's not your normal, like flow, normal like length of time of your period, then that also can be a sign that something's not right. That was kind of my first thought of, you know, this could be HA, but then with your second point of having a normal BMI. Yeah. I mean, as initially I definitely was very lean and not a low body weight where I was like, okay, I definitely had HA, but as a physician, I had always learned it was reversible. So I was like, great. Like as soon as I gain the weight, you know, as soon as I get back into a normal, you know, body fat percentage for what is deemed, you know, normal in society, I was like, great, it'll go away. And then that wasn't necessarily the case for me after several years of probably two years of still having withdrawal bleeds. You know, I never, it wasn't until I officially went off the pill and like three months after that, when I didn't get a cycle, I was like, okay, there's something like more going on here. Right. And I think that's another good point too, is because, you know, maybe somebody comes off the pill and doesn't have a period right away. It can take your body a couple of weeks to ovulate and and have a period, but definitely not three months. Right. So if we know we hit that marker of three months, we know something else is going on. And, um, just to circle back to kind of the things that led you to dismiss, like, no, this isn't me. This can't, uh, this can't possibly be why my period's missing. Um, the BMI thing, is that something Kelly that you feel like in your experience going through all of the decade of training and, um, medical school that you've been through, is that something that's hammered in pretty hard? Like, is it, is there, like you talk about it on a test question, would it be like individual is less than BMI of 18.5 or is that something that you personally struggled with? Or so I guess my question is, is that something that was just hard for you to accept? Or is that something that you think you guys are like taught contrary in medical school? There's definitely a number like they're in textbooks. And in, when you're studying, you know, there's definitely 18 is this one that comes to my head. Um, but you know, I, there also is, I, I mean, there were times in medical school where I did learn like, 
you know, exceptions to that, like, oh, okay, if you're an athlete and, you know, you have a lot of muscle mass, like your BMI is going to be higher than an individual who weighs the same as you, who doesn't have, you know, that much. And so that was something that I was like, okay, like it could be an individual based thing, but in terms of like, again, if I was doing a board question and if I was meeting a certain criteria for things, then yeah, like 18 is a number. And I think that's something with medicine that, you know, we're all taught like physicians at one point in time, there's guidelines and criteria for everything and for every diagnosis. And so, you know, I think it, there's some, some physicians are willing to, you know, be a little bit more individual with those guidelines of like, okay, let's take these as like a framework to how to approach a patient. But then something that I've learned and that I'm trying to implement in my own patients is like, you know, if you have that gut feeling and you have a patient that, you know, comes to you with a concern, like take those, take those guidelines, but then like apply them to the individual. So for me, like initially I was like, okay, 18 or whatever the number was like, that's exactly what I'm going to go off of. But then that would be not the case if I were to be an athlete and have, you know, a higher BMI because I had a bunch of muscle mass. And if you make an exception for that person, like there's gotta be ways to make exceptions for AJ as well. And so that was something for me. I was like, okay, like, I think there's something deeper going on here besides the numbers, but more so like the history of the patient. So for me, like my history of exercising an hour plus a day for three, four years, like yeah, that like makes total sense. It still fits within the criteria of, you know, excessive exercise. And even though I was a normal body weight, I was still putting that stress on my body. So I think it's taking different parts of, you know, the criteria. And if you fit maybe one versus the other, like, okay, how much, you know, are we really working out in that aspect? If you're still, you know, a normal body weight, but you're still working out all the time, like you're putting the stress on your body, regardless of if you're a normal weight or not. So that's something I learned is to be a little bit more lenient on, I guess you could say strict criteria, but just kind of apply it to this, the history. Yeah. And that's going to vary per, per provider, right? Like there are going to be doctors who like to think outside the box a little bit. And then there's going to be doctors who want to put you in a box. And so, you know, some of it's going to, some of it's going to be thinking for yourself. The other thing that I just kind of thought of as you were talking through that is I think back to like my own past with exercise addiction. And I would not have been honest with my doctor if they had asked me truly how much I was exercising. So I think also as patients, we have a responsibility to share, you know, like what's really going on because your provider may not ask the right questions. And, and we should probably also be aware that like, this is a touchy subject. Like nobody wants to, as a a doctor, call somebody out for having an eating disorder. Like that's it. That's a touchy subject. And so I think that, um, while there's some responsibility on the doctor to make the actual diagnosis and, and hopefully ask the right questions. Um, I think we also have to be honest. So what was your light bulb moment whenever you realized, okay, this is AJ, like what kind of caused you to snap out of the denial, if you will? So I would say three months after I stopped my pill, you know, again, going off of what I had read on, you know, ob recommendations, those things after three months of having no cycle after going off the pill is kind of a red flag. So after three months, it just timed really well with my ob appointment, like my annual appointment. And I had spoken to my physician, just kind of explaining my concerns, how I had always thought I had AJ, even though I was a normal weight, 
Um, and he really wasn't that concerned saying like, yeah, based on what you're telling me in terms of your exercise, like you're not doing too much, which at the time, I mean, I guess you could argue I wasn't, but I never gave my body that, that break. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I was talking to him, I like almost convinced myself, like I was trying to convince him. I thought I might have HA and I was like, wait, like, I'm just, I I think I'm just already diagnosing myself. Like, I, I feel like I know enough to make that argument. And so I remember I was training for a half at that time, which is kind of funny just because it was probably one of the most cardio I was doing. Um, but I remember him saying like, Oh, you're not running that much. Like it's a half marathon. Like that shouldn't make your period not show up. And I was like, okay, like, I guess so. And I remember going home and coincidentally that week I got hurt. Like I have really bad plantar fasciitis to where I couldn't even run. And I was like, okay, like maybe this is a sign that I should like kind of reflect on what's going on. And like, maybe my body really does need this rest. And then again, coincidentally that week, I like ran into your Facebook post on my, or your, your Instagram post on my explore page. Mm -hmm. And it was like coincidentally a post about like having a normal BMI and having no period. And I was like, I like, because of HA. And I was like, this is literally everything I've been trying to like reason in my own head. And like, here's my potential answer here. And so I was like, okay, like this is maybe my light bulb moment. Like you're saying of like, maybe this all makes sense. Like maybe my body still really hasn't recovered from all I had put it through years ago with, you know, extensive period of diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to quote, go all in for two and a half weeks on my own. And where I totally let up on exercise, I thought I was eating a ton more, um, in terms of letting up on, you know, and I wasn't really dieting at that time, quote dieting, but I still had a bunch of food rules that like I had never addressed and never thought were abnormal. And so this was kind of my time of like, okay, like, let me just try to do this. Like, let me go out on the limb. Let's, let's do this. But I was scared because I didn't have any like professional guidance of like, this is right. You're doing the right thing. Like, I agree with you. Like I was just kind of going off intuition of like knowing my own body and like knowing what I knew about HA. And then after two and a half weeks, I, you know, I tried to go all in and I just didn't have that support. And so I ended up, you know, from what I thought, gaining a ton of weight, I was super uncomfortable. I just kind of bailed just because I didn't have someone to say like, you're doing okay. Like you're doing this for, you know, the good of your body and all of those things. And so that's when, you know, a couple months later, I still hadn't had a cycle and I still was, I was exercising and I was like, okay, I need like some real support and like an expert in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we did connect. Um, <laughs> too. I like, I love what you bring up about the support factor because you know, getting your period back is going to require some lifestyle changes around how you approach food and exercise. And you can have the gist of it, right? Like the solution to getting your period back with AJ is not incredibly complex. It's eat more food and exercise less, but it's the application of that. And it's the doubts and the fears and the, what if this doesn't work? And all of the mindset issues, I think that really get in the way of someone doing this and doing it in a way that doesn't feel so intimidating and so extreme and, um, ultimately is able to continue to do it. Right. Cause it sounds like you, you kind of started the process and then like doubt set in discomfort set in and you're like, no, 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 no. So you reached out, we started working together and you did recover quite 
quickly, what three things did you find to be most helpful after joining my group program? Like what, what do you think were kind of the game changers for you? Definitely first, I would say, you know, having you as the expert to like guide me and say, okay, you're doing this right. You're on the right track. Like I was showing you how much food I was eating and you were like, yeah, like that's great. Just having that reassurance, I think took a lot of stress off of it because, you know, kind of circling back with just AJ in general, like not only is it physical stress, like it can be emotional stress too. So just the idea in my head that I wasn't constantly stressed of like, oh my God, am I doing this right? Like, I don't know what to do. I was, I had a sense of calm of like, okay, Lindsay's the expert. She's helped several, you know, hundreds of women recover their cycles already. Like I, I can do this. Like that was definitely you telling me like, you know, you can get your cycle back. This is not like something that's never going to return was helpful just week by week, being able to ask you questions, even like silly questions, like to where I would ask you it. And like, you would say, Oh, like, you know, in the next week you'll see this. And like, it would happen. And I was like, Oh, like, she knows what she's talking about, like that type of thing. So even though, you know, I did it, it was five weeks, but even though it was, it was a significant period of time, I guess you could say, I still week by week kind of had mini goals where I was like, okay, like I can see a little bit of progress here and there. So that was the number one for me. Number two, I would say, you know, just having, being in a space where I had, I was around several other women who you know, we're in the same place as me and just having people like week by week, if I needed to saying like, if I had a bad day, like, oh, I'm having a bad day with body image. Like, is anyone else feel the same way? Like, and I would have several other women say, oh yes. Oh my gosh. Like, this is what I did. Or like, hang in there. Like just a little bit of encouragement, like was so helpful. And just again, seeing people have wins as well. Like other women getting their cycles back, like that was awesome. And so just being a part of that, like made me feel like I had that community, so that was definitely probably like for, for my second thing, that was why I really, really enjoyed the program. And then third, like kind of, again, going off the community thing, I ended up like making like some pretty good friends from it that I still am in contact with. Like one, one of the girls who I, who was, I joined the group with, she was like a couple weeks ahead of me. And like, it was really nice to have her kind of as like a mentor of like, oh, I've been in your shoes before, like just a couple weeks ago type thing. We had like a similar story and like, we're still like, you know, probably every couple of days catching up on like our own individual journeys. And so just being a part of that and like having someone that like in the long run, like even now, if I have a bad body image, like I'll just text her and say like, Hey, like really not feeling great about what I'm wearing today or like something silly like that. But just having someone that like understands that and like your group, like bringing that like unity into like this part of my life, I think was huge because yes, I ended up like sharing my story with a lot of like, of course, with my husband, with my like family, with some close friends. And like, that made it easier too, for anyone who's struggling with just in general, like support, like telling people actually like made it better because Mm -hmm. I tried to, again, for two and a half weeks, do it by myself. And that didn't work very well. And like, I ended up feeling like I just kind of wasted a couple of weeks of just backtracking. And so I would think just from your group, having people in the same space that like want to see you succeed and like are okay with like, you know, everything that you've been through and everywhere you are now. So that was, that was game changing for me. I think that it's, you only know if you're, if you've been in this space before, how isolating it can feel to have to number one, 
change what, what probably feels like the having been there. This is what it felt like for me. Having to change your whole life is what it felt like for me. So having to change a core part of who you are and what you do, that is really hard. And people don't understand how hard it is for you. And you're making changes that are also, especially like working in healthcare, you're making changes that kind of go against what diet culture and sometimes in healthcare also too, um, it's easy to feel like you're doing the wrong thing, especially if you are telling patients that they need to, you know, watch their calories or they should be exercising, but really you're trying to exercise less. And so I think that having a, being in an environment and having some people you can lean on, that are doing the same thing as you for the same purpose as you. And they actually do understand how hard it is, is just such a relief rather than feeling isolated and questioning if you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And going to what you just said, you made a really good point that I like hope listeners think about. I wanted to mention this because you said this to me probably in week two or three, and it changed my perspective on everything, especially like as a physician, I remember you telling me like, Kelly, if you had a patient that came in with a certain diagnosis, you know, and the cure was some medication, like that's the medication for that specific diagnosis. So you said like for HA, the cure and like the medication is enough calories rest. Mm -hmm. And so you definitely made me think about it in terms of like, not like, Oh my gosh, like all calories are bad. Like, you know, eating in excess is bad. Like gaining weight is bad, but like for that specific diagnosis that I had, like, that's what I needed. And that switched a light in my head. Like, you know, there's certain, if an individual needs more salt in their diet, like some people have conditions where they need more salt, you would give them a diet that has salt. And so for me, like I needed a diet with more calories. And so that was something that really, I was like, okay, like you have to think like that in terms of diagnosis and, and, and treatment. And so that was something that really like stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. And and I really like that too. That was something that helped me honestly, as a dietitian, because, uh, as a dietitian at the time when I was doing my own recovery, um, I was working in corporate wellness and, you know, 90% of the people I was talking to were trying to lose weight. And so the things that I were recommending were backwards, but it was a great way to kind of recenter and be like, this is what might be okay for them, but what my body needs at this point in time is more calories, more rest and all of those things. So kind of, again, you know, in thinking more of yourself as an individual, like the, the general recommendations for nutrition and exercise for the population don't apply to somebody who has a diagnosed health condition like AJ. So I, I definitely think that that's helpful. Um, it also sounds like one of the things that kept you going was like the constant progress because we were talking about coaching calls, like, you know, week one to two, this is what to expect three to four. This is what to expect. And you followed that timeline pretty perfectly. And you got your period back pretty dang quick. What did it feel like whenever you first kind of saw spotting and signs of your period returning? I was super excited and I kind of had like a slow, you know, recovery of my cycle. My first cycle I had was pretty light. And I remember like, not even like knowing if it was like a real period because, Mm -hmm. you know, I went on vacation and I was actually like in the Caribbean where I was, you know, in the ocean all day, I was in the the pool, all those things. And I remember noticing that I was spotting after I came out of like scuba diving and I was like, Oh, like, 
what, what in the world? Just cause it had been eight months. I was like, yeah. Oh my, well, eight months since my last withdrawal bleed. I was like, Oh my God. And so I was so excited. I remember like immediately like telling the group and I was like, everyone was so excited too. So that made it even better. But like my first cycle was very slow. And so yeah. as excited as I was, I still knew like I have more work to do, which, you know, definitely kept me going in terms of like, I know some individuals get their first cycle and like, it's really hard to continue with what you're doing, especially like when you see that gratification. And so like, you're not done yet. (laughs) So I was, I was super, super excited. Um, and then of course, like, as I, you know, had another cycle, it definitely, you know, got to that point where I was like, okay, like I feel like this is, this is normal. This is like real, this is getting better. And so I was so excited. I was so excited that it took five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for sharing like kind of both sides of that, because I think when somebody gets that first recovery period, it's almost like a crossroad. It's a milestone, right? Because even if you're just spotting, that's a sign your body's trying to do something right. And especially if it's happening in a cyclical fashion, like every month or every, you know, 25, 28 days, something like that. Um, But I think that when you get that first recovery period, it's now what, right? It's, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, my body's working again. So there's always going to be that temptation to, I'm good. I'm healed. I can go back to restricting food, over-exercising, controlling my body. I probably didn't even need to gain the weight that I get. There's always that temptation, but it also, but on the flip side of that, it's encouragement. It's a little carrot along the path that's saying, you did it, Kelly. This is what your body needed. We need yeah. a little bit more. We want to keep it going. And I think, I think sometimes it's helpful when we have the fertility goal in mind, because yeah, I, sure. think that, I think that that makes it a little bit more imminent. Whereas maybe if we don't, the temptation to go back to old habits can be stronger. And so, um, you know, for you, what, what do you think were kind of the main things that helped you to say, okay, like this, this is good. This is signs of progress, but there's more work to be done. I would say, you know, I definitely was excited that I had gotten it, but my second cycle, one thing I knew that I still had work to do was, and something that I'm still, you know, I've only had three cycles since, um, well, yeah, since the first one I've had all consecutive cycles since I got my first, um, actual period, but I still have had like short luteal phases. And that's something that I know I need to continue to work on, but each cycle that I've gotten, you know, have been more of a regular bleed or more days of bleeding or whatnot. And so I definitely knew like I was on the right track, but still had some things like, okay, your body still needs, you know, this time just to recover and make sure you're eating enough. And especially just with my, you know, daily life now, like everyone has their own individual like lives in terms of, you know, their jobs, if they have other kids, if they have other obligations that, you know, require them to be on their feet all the time, like during the day as a physician. And so that's something like my last month I was in the ICU. And so I definitely was like, okay, like this cycle is going to be a lot longer in terms of like luteal phase and all those things. And it ended up to be the same as my second cycle, but it made sense because my sleep was not great just because, you know, I was flipping back and forth from nights to days. You know, there were some days on long rounds where I wasn't able to eat every three to four hours. And so it definitely put it into perspective of like the work's not done, but like, you know how to fix this. You just have to like stick with the process type thing. Yeah, definitely. And I love that you brought up just like using your cycle as a tool and as a vital sign, right? Like you're able now, you know, since, since, you know, moving on and getting your period back, you've been able to see what your period looks like and think back, okay, what 
I haven't back to this. Am I fueling appropriately? Am I not getting enough sleep? Am I stressed? And so you have the tools that you need to, to fix it. And you know, short luteal phases, um, you know, later cycles, those are things that do happen with recovery, but with ongoing recovery, we usually see those, you know, self-correct. And I think one of the coolest things about your recovery story that I think people are like probably, you know, kind of dying to know is how did you get your period back so quickly? Like, do you have any tips for that you would share with somebody who maybe hasn't started their recovery journey out of a million fears and they, I don't want it to take forever. You know, maybe, wow. maybe they just have done to happen for a while, or maybe they desperately want to be a mom tomorrow. What would be any tips you would share for someone who wants to have a recovery time of five weeks or so? I'm glad you asked me this question because I remember listening to this podcast before I joined your group and like wanting to like to hear that same answer of like, how do I make this faster? Like, is there a secret or something? And there's not like going through it myself, unfortunately, like there's really not other than just to be patient and like take it day by day and like have small wins throughout the process. Like, I think just I, what kept me going each day was just learning about all of the different like signs of, you know, my cycle returning and like things that I had never thought to look at before, because like the journey can seem so long if you don't see any progress. So just like understanding like fertile signs, like, okay, like this is a sign of ovulation. This is a mm -hmm. sign that things are moving in the right direction. Like just small things like that, like really just made me like, okay, like you can do this each day. And so I would say for someone who like, really, really wants it ASAP. Like, unfortunately, you know, it's your, it's your own body's clock. It's not going to happen like overnight. I mean, so for some it does, then that's great. But one thing I think from a scientific perspective that I think I shared with our group at one point that I have to think about sometimes too, is like hormones in general, like scientifically are very slow. Like the signaling, like the cell signaling, if you want to get to like a little tiny cellular molecular level, like it's a very slow thing. And so understanding like, okay, like, like what I learned about my own hormones, like that's happening inside my body. And like, you need to give it some time. So in that time period, I would suggest to people like get the support you need, whether it's, you know, joining your group or even just telling a close friend or telling your spouse or telling your parents or whoever it is like, people who like really care about you and like that love you, like want to see you like succeed in whatever you're doing. And if they knew how much you're struggling with AJA and, you know, with, if, if anyone does have, you know, any sort of eating disorders or disorder patterns or whatnot, like just getting the help you need, regardless of what that might be. And so if that's just sharing it with others, like just to have people like that, you feel like it's on your side, like then do that. Cause it's a very isolating feeling mm -hmm. if you've, I mean, I've been there. I felt like I was on an Island at some point. Cause like, yeah. I felt like no one else like didn't have a cycle and right. that's, it's hard not to play the comparison game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point about you did get your period back rather quickly. There was no way that we were, we could predict that that was going to happen. Right. Like you did do the right <laughs> things and you were really, um, fueling appropriately and you were really, you know, paying attention to your body and you were, had a lot of skin in the game. I think that that's huge for recovery, but the truth of the matter is we don't have a magic eight ball that we can shake and see the answer of how long it's going to take each individual to get their cycle back. So I love what you talked about, about how our bodies need a little bit of time, right? Like recovering from any injury is not an overnight process, right? It just, okay. just isn't. And yeah. so I love that. It, I think it, that's a good zoom out um, takeaway to think about that. 
you know, we don't know how long it's going to take your body. We would love for it to be quick, but if it isn't, you need to be surrounded by community to help you to muddle through, you know, three weeks, three months, whatever it takes your body. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And another thing I think you just said that is a good comparison is like, you mentioned it as like kind of like an injury. And so for me as an athlete, I remember at one point thinking like, if I tore my ACL, I would be out for several months and I would need to be in a cast at one point or not, a, you know, I would need crutches at one point. I would need to do rehab. I would need to be doing physical therapy. And like, that's what I think in, in the HA and the long journey is like, okay, taking part of the, taking care of those individual things. I need to be taking care of my, you know, exercise or not exercising as part of the treatment, but then as well as like making sure I'm fueling enough and, mm-hmm. oh, and that's going to take some time, like just like any other injury to the body. So it's just for HA it's, it's your hormones. And so yeah. you have to think about it that way. Yeah. And I like to even take that a step farther when I think about people like continuing to repair their cycle, right? We have already touched upon how one recovery period doesn't necessarily mean your body is recovered. You, you know, take the same analogy of tearing your ACL, even after that ligament is healed, you don't just go back to marathon training, right? Like there's still going to be some rehab and some ongoing things that you need to do to make sure everything feels properly. So yeah, yeah I think that, that. lots of good um, analogies. I think that hopefully drive the point home on what we're kind of talking about here. Well, last question for you, Kelly. Doctors hold such a position of authority when it comes to healthcare. And I have found in my practice that many women feel intimidated to advocate for themselves at doctor's appointments. You know, you get the white coat, white coat syndrome. They're the expert. I'm here. Just listen. I can't speak up. Can you share any tips um, to help somebody who maybe feels a little bit too intimidated to talk to their doctor and um, share, you know, like do doctors generally welcome patients that are kind of coming with their own research? Or do you feel like some doctors like, don't like hearing that anything that you feel like can make it a more pleasant experience for somebody on the patient side? Yeah. And I would say my advice and it's hard, but like, find, first of all, you got to find a physician that you trust and that you feel like is going to listen to you because I think so much of patient care is individualized from what I've learned. And if you're going to be willing to share your story, you know, again, that's something that we talked about earlier. Like sometimes, you know, weight and eating disorders and all of those things are a touchy subject for women. And so really finding a provider that you feel like, you know, cares about you, if you're comfortable with sharing those things is the first step. And I know that can be really hard for some people because, you know, when they see a physician, maybe they're like, oh, they're known for, you know, the best in terms of fertility care and all those things. That's great. But I think with this being such a touchy subject for some women, like finding a physician that you really trust and you feel like you have that rapport with, I think is super critical. And then going off of that, like sharing your history. Like I wish I would have said to my physician, like, okay, yeah, I'm an athlete, but like, let me tell you how much I'm exercising, like that type of stuff. Like, and like you mentioned before, like some physicians might not ask the right question. So like, if you're willing to give information, like sometimes I learn so much about my patients from just letting them talk to me, like yeah. instead of ask going through the protocol of asking all the questions, like just letting them just say what's on their mind, like sometimes gets me more to thinking like, oh, I wouldn't have asked about this part of their history, but it really is a piece to the puzzle. And so again, but I think that you have to have someone who you're comfortable with sharing all these things to pour your heart out, especially with how hard, you know, AJ is. And so I would say, yeah, it's definitely really hard to stick up for yourself, especially when some physicians, 
you know, might be a little standoffish to feeling, you know, like patients who come in saying, oh, I think I know what's wrong with me. Like, this is it, that type of thing. And if that's the case, like there's nothing wrong with finding a new provider. If you feel as though like you're not being heard, like I would, I would hope you do just because it's such a connection that you, you want to make with, with the individual to be sharing these things. And like, it's a journey, like you mentioned, it's not just one appointment where, mm-hmm. you know, okay, you're going to fix me. I'm never going to see you again. Like you're going to be seeing these if you, if you choose to work with a physician for, you know, months, for years, like whatever. And so you want to have that connection with them and make sure they understand you a little bit more as an individual. And I think that's something that I, I was, you know, for looking on the physician side of like, why do physicians so much, you know, jump to IVF, jump to, you know, Clomid, jump to all these things. And like, from my learning, kind of like what I was speaking about earlier with like algorithms and all those things, like, of course there's like treatment you know, guided algorithms for a lot of these conditions and like they work. And so that's, you know, why, and at some point there's evidence-based studies that all of these different treatments work, but at the same time, like, I think it's, it's a good to share with your physician, like, okay, am I wanting to get pregnant yesterday type thing? Or, you know, do I really want to be doing this naturally and focusing on, you know, do I have the patience to focus on myself long-term and do I have the patience to kind of dissect what's going on? And so I think it's a joint thing. It's, it's again, how much you want to give and how, how much you want to be patient with your own self and, and think about this as like a holistic approach. That's another thing is, you know, some physicians are very like, you know, think more medically rather than I know that there's other types of practitioners that think about the whole body and like interactions and all those other things. But, you know, I, I definitely think that, that it's as much as hard as it is, like just being able to share as much as you can, if you're comfortable, just so, you know, they really, they really feel as though you're coming from a place of like, look, like, I really need help with this. It's really a lot for me to say, but like, I want you to have all the information to know, like, really what's going on because, you know, it's a 30 minute appointment rather than, you know, you know, what what goes on for most days of your life. So. Yeah. And I love framing it that way of even just like using the words, like, Hey, this is hard for me to admit, but I exercise a lot and I'm probably not eating enough. Like just being vulnerable with them from the get-go, I think kind of opens a door that hopefully most doctors ears would kind of perk up. Hey, this is a hard thing that this patient is sharing with me and I need to like really be honed in on what they're saying. And then the other thing that you said that I think is super, super helpful that I would also recommend to listeners is communicating your goals. So if your goal is, I just want to get pregnant, you will probably find an REI or an OBGYN that is going to get you pregnant. It might take months, it might take years, but you're probably going to get pregnant. So if that's your only goal, cool. But if your goal is to get your period back, be healthy, have a healthy regular cycle and have hopes of a natural pregnancy, you need to communicate with that to your doctor. And hopefully your doctor's answer is going to be, let's do IVF, right? Because that only solves one of those three things that you just communicated to your doctor. Yeah. And that's something for me too. Like I, I would say, listen to your gut. Like, I feel like, you know, your body best, especially through everything I've learned through, you know, Lindsay's program. Like I really learned how to like understand what my body's signals were. And I really felt, you know, like, again, you're, you know, best, better than anybody. So I would say, you know, my, my physician, I remember telling me like when I went in January, like after three, three months of being off of my pill, he was like, Oh yeah, I can give you Clomid. And I was like, I mean, yeah, like I bet it would work, but in my head, I was like, that's just not what I wanted at that time. And 
he was respectful of that, but I was kind of a little bit like, okay, well, why are we not talking about my history? Why are we not talking about what's going on? But at the same time, I didn't offer that information at, at first because I didn't really know better. And so I think just, you know, educating yourself, but then being comfortable with like sticking up for yourself when you know you're right. And it's your body at the end of the day. And so mm-hmm. I think physicians should respect that regardless. And that's something that I'm taking into my practice. I mean, I'm emergency medicine, so it's not as much that I'm seeing women without cycles every day, but like, that's something that I'm going to take, you know, into my own hands is like, am I going to talk to my patients about really what's going on? Like, I'm going to let them tell me what their main concerns are rather than like kind of going through the motions of, you know, checking all the boxes of what I need to ask. Like, what do you want to tell me? Like, why are you coming to see me? And like, how can I help you? As I think a little bit of a different perspective. I love that. I love that Kelly. We need more doctors like you out there. And (laughs) I also just want to leave everybody with that takeaway that yes, your doctor has been through a lot of school and a lot of training and they are the medical expert. 100% they are but you are the expert in your own body. Your physician will never understand your body as well as you do. And so let that kind of be some empowerment that you can take into your next doctor's appointment. Um, Kelly, thanks so much for your time today. Any last things that you just wanted to share with listeners, whether it's somebody who's still trying to get their period back, or maybe somebody who's still trying to regulate their cycle, any last things that you would just share with people? I would just say, trust the process, like take it day by day, you know, it's, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> I mean, if that, that's anything for sure, just trusting your body and giving yourself the time to recover. Like I had no idea how much stress I was putting on my body until I wasn't like, I just, if there's anything I've learned in the past, you know, I think it's been four months since I've worked with you. It's like, I've reflected a lot on like, wow, like I just got home from a really long work day. And if it were a year ago, I would be on the Peloton for an hour. Like, and that's not realistic. Like there's so much more that I've gained from life other than just my period that I didn't even know wasn't normal. Like coming out of athletics, like from working out all the time, like, you know, when I played in college and stuff and like, that was daily life to me. And so I thought it was normal to, you know, go on and work out every morning at 5 a.m. before rotations in med school. But like reflecting now that I've given my body like the space it needs to like, you know, and of course I'm still working on things, but to recover, to, you know, eat whatever, you know, if I'm really hungry to eat what I want, like that type of thing, like that freedom and that, you know, fuel that I need. I'm like, wow, like how did I do this to myself for so many years? And how is my body functioning? Like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, how is I still moving? Like, my God. Yeah. Well, recovery is such a good time to slow down and take those assessments and really think about, have I been treating my body? Like, what does my body really need? What am I body really asking for? Like you mentioned the long work day, you've been on your feet all day for 12 hours. Do you really need to come home and do a Peloton ride or do you need to decompress? You know? So I, I love that as you thinking of it as a, a reflection time too. So thanks again, Kelly, for your knowledge and sharing your tips and experiences with recovery. I'm sure listeners are going to think it is super helpful. So we appreciate your time and thank you again for coming on. Yeah. I loved being here. Thank you for everything you've done. And yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be able to share my story. Yes, yes. We love the recovery story. So thanks so much for sharing and we'll sign off now. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you found this episode to be inspiring or helpful, please share on social media and tag me at food.freedom.fertility. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and a review.